All right. Good morning, Reach Church. All right. So uh, if kids went ahead to Reach Kids, they can do that. Uh, Cute. I know, right? (laughs) All right. So uh, we are continuing in the book of Galatians, and uh, now we're where the rubber hits the road. We're seeing how living under faith and living under grace, living uh, in nothing but Jesus actually spills over into natural obedience. And not obedience to the law, but obedience to actually loving Jesus Christ and longing for him more than we long for the desires of, of sin and idolatry. Uh, I remind you once again, now, every single time we start to talk about obedience, there's the natural temptation that we're going to go back to the law and just say, try harder once again. All right, I, I hope that after week, after week, after week of stressing this in Galatians, we are not saved by our works. And we are not under the law. We pay no attention to the law anymore because it cannot save us. It cannot move us towards Christ. All it can do is, is show us our, how deep our sin really is. Then we might run to him. But it, it can't actually give us true obedience. So in this, we are not saying, okay, yeah, you don't need the law, but, but no, no, you really need to try to do the law. There is not a bait and switch in the Christian life that says, yeah, come by grace, and then you have to, then you have to go work. No, it's grace throughout. And so we want to make sure that we are remaining in that grace, where we are living by faith and not by works. We have to pursue this whole different life, this whole different uh, means of Loving and, and obeying this one that we love. So uh, we talked about last week uh, the flesh versus the spirit. There's two ways of, of these two different ways of pursuing obedience. And uh, it's kind of a lot. So we're going to summarize that uh, and hopefully kind of try to reinforce this over and over because it is different. It is different than oftentimes we think about um, pursuing obedience. So first, we're going to talk about, we have handy graphics. Uh, We've never done this, really, but we have handy graphics. Hey, look, it didn't used to be green. Now it's green this time. I see that, Aaron. Well done. (laughs) All right, so uh, first off, living in the flesh, living in the flesh. This is the bad one. This is the one we're not supposed to do, Um, and this is how we naturally live, and it starts not with uh, with our sin. It, It starts way back at faith, that faith is always the start. The things that we trust in, the things that we, we believe fundamentally. And the flesh fundamentally believes that we, we need to work for every blessing, for every good thing. That's where, that's where the, the flesh puts its faith in its own ability, its own efforts, its own works. If there's any life that's to be pursued, it needs to be, it needs to be earned if there's any happiness, if there's any comfort, then you have to go out and get it yourself. Therefore, it's completely removed from the grace of, grace of God, from the work of Jesus. No, it, it's all you. It's all you and your works. Now, the reality is that uh, we are incredibly weak and feeble, powerless creatures when it really comes down to it. That we don't have the power to, to earn the things that we really feel we need and we want. And so, living in the flesh naturally leads to, to desiring idols. 
that we feel we need to work and, and recruit these false gods to come help us with the works that we're committed to. And as we, as we seek uh, these things through idolatry, we, we love our idols. We love them. And our hearts are drawn towards them. And then all of our actions are now to serve not just ourselves, but those idols. That every action is, is to, to worship that idol and to seek life in that idol. Now, it could be one idol that dominates your life. It could, it's probably thousands. And we're jumping from idol to idol and, and putting our faith in, in all of the different things that we need to do in a day. All right, the flesh. Now, we're comparing that to, this, to life in the spirit. Now, life in the spirit starts with faith once again, but it's faith in the grace that's in Jesus Christ. We're putting our faith not in our works, but the work that Jesus has done and the work that Jesus continues to do. The gifts that he's pouring out, the grace that he has given, and the grace that he continues to give. That that's the thing we're fundamentally trusting in. That's where we're seeking every blessing. That's where we're seeking every good thing. And when we really do believe that, and we put our faith in that, uh, there's this natural spillover that we start to love Jesus. Because we see this one who is constantly trying, he's dying for us and, and giving us an eternal inheritance and giving us far more than we would ever deserve and lavishing grace upon us. And we're not supposed to just stay content there and say, hey, thanks, thanks, Jesus, like, I'll take it. We're supposed to say, hey, like, your gifts show me your nature. And now we see Jesus and we fall in love with him. And all of our desires wash away until we can see Jesus perfectly and say, you know, I want Jesus, nothing else. I've seen who you are and what you've done, and now I want you. And from there, all of our actions then start to flow. That everything we do now is an act of, of love for Jesus and a desire to please him and a desire to pursue him and put him on display. These are the two fundamental ways that we live the Christian life, flesh and spirit. And one, is, one, is, one is not the Christian life. One is this false representation. It's, it's a life of slavery and works and, and leads to sin. So with that, we're going to uh, look at three things this week. Uh, we're going to look at the works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit, and then the call to crucify the flesh. And my hope is that we we start to see that, okay, yeah, I, we see sin, but we want to trace it back up that line. So we understand, okay, how is my sin arising from a failure of faith and a failure of love? And how then can I pursue these, this fruit of the Spirit, not by trying to manipulate my actions, but by tracing back and saying, hey, I want to depend upon Jesus, and I want to love Jesus first and foremost, and now I want that to flow into my life. So that's our goal. Uh, it's a big goal. So uh, we're going to start with reading Galatians 5, and then we're going to pray a lot. So, um, so Galatians 5, we're going to look at, uh, start with verse 19. Galatians 5, starting with verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do these such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we look at these things and we talk about these things, um, we desperately need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds to these truths, to protect us from all the ways that we try to hide our sin from ourselves and the, the justifications that we make for, for our idols. Father, would you break these things down and would you give us Jesus? Would you give us nothing but Jesus? Would we really understand the depth of our sin and not merely um, whitewash over it, but would we be drawn into to walking in the Spirit and to really delighting in Jesus? Father, would you show us how to do these things, and then we pray that you would, throughout this week, throughout our whole lives, um, would really draw us towards Jesus, that we may walk in the Spirit and manifest these fruits to his glory. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, First, the works of the flesh. Now, these are called the works of the flesh because, just as we saw, the, the flesh loves to work. That's its, its fundamental uh, mode of operation, is, is working. And so, of course, the sins that are expressed are works of the flesh. And Paul lists them out here. Uh, we don't need to read them again. Because, because uh, he says the works of the flesh are evident. All right, none of these things are are surprising that these are the works of the flesh. When we see these things in our lives, we know, you know what, those things probably shouldn't be there. The works of the flesh are evident. Now, that's true, and it's helpful that the works of the flesh are, el are, are uh, evident, but the problem is that because the works of the flesh are evident, we tend to put all of our focus on those works, because they're the most obvious, they're the most glaring. And so we can be incredibly superficial when we look at the works of the flesh. And we can fail to take ourselves up that line and instead we can just say, you know what, maybe I just need to change my habits. Maybe I need to change the people I hang out with. Maybe I need to change uh, my routines in a day. Or I need to get an accountability partner. Something just not getting to the real depth. So we say, you know, I, I, need, to, I need to work on this sin. Yes, you do. But it's going to go far, far deeper than just you trying to manage these things out of your life. It's a fundamental switch from the flesh to the spirit. And this doesn't happen through, through habits and scheduling. What does it start with? It starts with, it starts with faith. It starts with faith. And so when we, when we look at our sin and we see there's sin in our lives, when we see these things are in our lives, uh, we have to, we have to say, there's a problem with my faith. All the way from the beginning. That these, these works are working out of a faith and a love that's been corrupted way further down the line. 
Now, that's where we can't, we can't be content to just saying, you know, I was hungry, so yeah, I got angry. Uh, I was tired. It's, it's like there's a million reasons, and we can kind of just wash, oh, yeah, it's sin, whatever. Uh, no, the first thing is we, we go back to faith. A faith commitment that's behind all these things. And the fundamental faith commitment of the flesh is, I trust in my works. I trust in myself. I don't need grace. That's why these are works. These aren't works. These aren't fruit. They're works because I don't need grace. I don't need Jesus to help me. I am going to attain what I will attain. And if there's anything that I'm going to get, it's going to be because I worked for it. Now, the reality is when we, when we venture out into the world, we do not have the power to live that kind of life. We are not supposed to be independent creatures. We are supposed to be dependent upon our Father. We're supposed to be dependent on our Creator, the one in whose image we are made. And so we enter out into the world, and we are completely powerless, and we are overwhelmed by the world because we should be. Now, an image of this, an image of this. All right, let's say, let's say that there's this young girl. She's maybe 10, 11, 12, and she decides, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm sick of being dependent upon my father and his grace. I'm going to run away from home. And so she runs off to the streets of Wilmington, and what does she discover really quickly? She doesn't have in herself what she needs to, to live and to survive and to flourish. Now, are we saying, well, yeah, she, she's, she didn't prepare herself well. No, she, she's never, she's never supposed to be able to live on the streets of Wilmington on herself. She has abandoned the, the grace of her father, the gifts of her father, joyful dependence, and instead chosen this destructive independence. Now, when she realizes that she's out in the world and completely in over her head, what comes walking by but lots of very helpful strangers who are going to help her along the way? And what are they going to do in the process? They're going to enslave her, and they're going to take her down roads that she should never have walked, and she never would have even been exposed to if she stayed in her father's house. And here she is falling in love with these people that are promising the world to her as they're abusing and using and mistreating her. Now, that is life in the flesh. That is living according to the flesh. That we're called to be, to be worshipers of God and be children of God and stand under our Father and he, he bestows upon us grace, and gives us gifts and gives us the things that we, we really do need most fundamentally. But no, what do we say? We say, no, I want to I do my works. I don't want anything from you, God. And we venture out into the world. And we realize how weak and powerless and in over our heads we really are. That there is death and destruction and sadness and, and slavery and all of these things. And then comes by helpful idols. 
And so let's say, oh, you're like, you're super stressed out because it's all on you and you cannot live by your own means. And here comes comfort. The idol of comfort. And what does comfort promise? Comfort promises relief from all of your anxiety. And, and in this world of darkness, some, some light and some joy and some happiness. And what do you do? You fall in love with that idol comfort. And you desire comfort to give you all of the things that are promised to you. And what street does comfort lead you down? Uh, maybe he says, here, here, I, I have something that can comfort you. Here, drink this. It'll make you forget all your anxieties. And where do we find ourselves? Drunkenness. Or maybe comfort says, here, here, look at this. This will distract you for a little while. Sexual immorality. Or maybe it's as, as innocent as, here, here, here's people. People can be a great comfort to you. Go find some comforters. And yet, they don't comfort very well. And maybe they make your life worse, and, and the promises don't come to pass, and now you have anger and division and hatred, enmity. That's what we're talking about. That we're called to be dependent upon God and his grace. And yet we've, we've ventured out on our own way. And so we have to start asking, asking ourselves the question. Um, first, behind every sin, what is this idol that I love and that I'm committed to? What is this idol and I've, I've bought into its promises? That if only I have this thing, then, then my life will be okay. And it's not as simple. There's not, it's not a one-to-one -one thing. So we could take drunkenness and say, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe they're looking for comfort. But okay, maybe they're looking for, for joy and happiness. That life is just incredibly bleak, and this is, this is their road to a, a good time. That person is going gonna, is gonna to relate to their sin very differently. Now, maybe it, it's completely different. Maybe someone is actually using alcohol to serve their, their fear of man and people-pleasing. All right, that sounds kind of weird, but okay, uh, in college, in college, my freshman roommate, he was voted ZBT's Drunk of the Year. <laughs> There's an award for that, and he was very proud of it, and what did he, he like, he drank to, to be the coolest frat guy. All right, and like, in some sense, it kind of worked, but what was he serving? He was serving people. That was his idol, even though it seemed so far removed from the actual sin. All right, so we look into our hearts and we say, okay, what is the idolatrous desire, the thing that I love in this sin? But then we have to take it one step further. Beyond that, why am I running to this idol? Why am I unwilling to go to my Father? Why am I unwilling to receive grace from Jesus Christ? Why am I unwilling to be dependent upon Him that I have to be independent and run after idols? How have I left my father's house? How have I refused to be under him and to love him first? To sin, to the loves, to the faith. That's where if we don't ask ourselves those questions, if we don't take it up, uh, we're never going to get to the real heart of things. 
and we're going to always feel like we're just trying to whack-a-mole the sins in our lives, and we're not going to get anywhere. Now, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is called the fruit of the Spirit because uh, it's, it's supposed to be explicitly different than works. That the flesh works, the Holy Spirit, he, he grows, and he emanates, and it flows from us. This is supposed to be the natural outpouring of those roots being found in Jesus Christ. And this love that grows up, and then it comes out and spills over in the fruit of the Spirit. That they're a natural expression of our faith in Christ and our desire for Christ. That we have these beautiful things that express it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against such things, there is no law. Now, oddly, have we talked about the law yet? No, in talking about the Spirit, we've never talked about the law. But suddenly these fruit just flow out of us, and we, we are meeting the law, the requirement of the law, without ever talking about it, without being enslaved to it. It just flows from us as we're filled with Jesus. And where does it start? It starts with, first, that, that, the, the roots the faith. And what are we fundamentally trusting? We're trusting the, all of the blessings that are found in Jesus Christ. We're trusting these gifts that are poured out in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus there is eternal life. There's salvation, there's inheritance, there's adoption. There's this promise that now that we are gods in Jesus Christ, God will work all things for our good to conform us to the image of Christ. that he has ordained everything that has come to pass, that there's nothing outside of his, his scope, that he really does love us and gives good gifts to us because we are his children. It's faith, faith in, in that God, in that God who loves us in Jesus. And then we, from faith, we take it one step down. And it's, it's kind of this disconnect that I think is our real problem. We see all the beauty of, of what Jesus has done, but we don't see the beauty of Jesus himself. That's what the second aspect is. We desire Jesus, and we love him, and we've seen how beautiful he really is. And we've seen that ultimately, what do we really want and what do we really need? Do we need the idols that we've run to out on the street? No. We need Jesus. We need the one who, who poured his blood out for us, who lavishes grace upon us. That that's our most fundamental desire. We long to be with Jesus. And more than anything, we, we want him, his person. Now when that connection really clicks, then all of the fruit of the Spirit flow out of it that we love Jesus. And so then we say, like, wow, how, do I, how can I express this love for Jesus? How is this love, like, flowing out of me? Well, like, take love. How, do you, how does love 
flow from your connection to Jesus Christ? Well, first, like you have been you have been loved more lavishly and abundantly in Jesus Christ than we can ever fathom or imagine. That he loved you while you hated him and while you rejected him, and he chose you to be to be his his beloved, to be his bride. He may pour love upon you and may, may present you perfect before him as the bride of Christ that he may be with you for, for all eternity. Now that makes us love Jesus and delight in Jesus. And it makes that love flow out of us. That now, what do we most desire? Do we most desire that, that our enemy would get what's coming to them? No, we desire that we would love Jesus. And we meet that enemy and we say, you know what? I love Jesus more than I want to punish that person. And so I'm going to love them. I'm going to be gracious to them. I'm going to be kind to them. Not for their sake, but for Jesus' sake, because I love Jesus and I delight in Jesus. And I desire Jesus' glory for him to be lifted up. That's my ultimate heart's desire from the, from the toes to the top, and it flows out in this fruit of the Spirit. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about when we talk about this, this kind of natural overflow, the fruit. Now, how does then, uh, this third point, how does this work? How does it work that this actually happens? Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All right, we have to make this fundamental switch from the flesh to the spirit. From the flesh to the spirit. And we're called to to crucify, to kill, to judge and destroy that tendency in ourselves to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on my own. We kill that desire that says, you know, I can be free of God. I'm going to run out into the streets. I'm going to go find what I'm looking for. No, instead, instead we say, like, no, I, I found what I want in Jesus. He has proved to me his love for me. I really do believe I can trust him. I believe that in following him, that's what I really need and want. And we start looking at our idols and we say, you know what, I, I don't want to follow you anymore. I don't love you anymore. In fact, compared to Christ, I completely hate you. And I'd rather have Jesus than have this, this false enslaving comfort or life or peace or joy or righteousness. And we kill those things and replace them with Jesus, with nothing but Jesus. And we trust that, you know, if I get Jesus, I'll be okay. I don't need to go running out and looking for other lovers. No, I'll, I'll stick with Jesus. Now, with that in mind, um, I'm going to warn us of this, this danger. I talked about it last week. Um, we're called to to belong to Christ Jesus. All right, this is where we have this natural tendency. There's this, this view of, of mankind that 
a lot of Christians believe in and, and tends to be taught. And it says that, what is a Christian? A Christian is fundamentally a cup. An empty cup. And that empty cup runs around trick-or-treating and trying to fill its cup. And there's two ways we can try to fill the cup. We can try to fill the cup in, in sin and idolatry. And, and that doesn't fill us up. But Or we can fill our cup with all the gifts of Jesus. And so what do we do? We, we, we make a laundry list of all the things that we need, and we say, oh, I need, I need comfort and peace, and I need relationships, and I need joy, I need financial stability, and we make this list, and we say, all right, don't seek those things in sin, seek them in Jesus. All right, I'm taking that analogy, and I'm crushing it, and I'm throwing it on the floor, and I'm stomping on it. All right. We are not fundamentally cups with all of the desires. That's the illusion. And we think that that is what we are, and that thinks that's how we should live life, and we, that's why we are running after these thousands of idols, and we are loving all of these things. What are we told? We are told we are fundamentally children and worshipers. And you only get to worship one thing. And God says, I created you such that when you worship Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, only then will life make sense. Only then will you have, will you fulfill your purpose. You don't come with your list of, of, idol, of idols and then try to get them through Jesus. No, the, Jesus is supposed to replace the idols. And our desire for Jesus is supposed to overwhelm our desires for all of these things. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, let's say you try to go to God uh, in Jesus for, for peace. For peace. Now, we say, that's not, a, that's not a horrible thing. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Of course, we should have peace. All right, but if we seek peace for peace's sake, we're never going to find it. Because we have this idea of what peace should look like, and it's not the peace that Jesus is ever going to give us. Jesus will give us a kind of peace. The peace that says, you know what, I, you have found the thing that you're looking for. And you don't need to run after all these other things. You have found me, the delight of your heart and your soul. And so you have peace in knowing that you have what, you're, what is of greatest value. And the peace of knowing that, you know what, even if all of all of my life burns to a crisp, I will have that thing that I most cherish and the most, most I, that I love. Now, if you're looking for peace from Jesus, you're never going to have that assurance. Because you, you can lose this peace that's disconnected from Jesus, but you can't lose Jesus himself. If Jesus is your peace, it can never be taken from you. And if you know that, you know what, I, everything that happens in your life is going to be serving to glorify Jesus Christ. That's a different peace than saying, hey, I'm going to give you the peace so that you never have to worry about anything in your life. No, this is a peace that knows, like, I am all about, and I worry about glorifying Jesus, and I know it's going to get there. My life is going to glorify Jesus. It's a peace that can run out to war. It's a peace that can, can battle sin. It's not a peace that's going to say, hey, just stay comfortable.
right, another one that, that tends to be um, one that we hold up and we say, okay, I want approval and acceptance. I want approval and acceptance. And we say, you know what, you can't get it from the world. It's not going to give it to you. So get it from Jesus. But it's, it's going to be different when Jesus doesn't approve of everything that we do. Jesus doesn't just give us a, a blank check and says, you know what, just, just live your life. No, he, he approves of the things that glorify him, and he, he doesn't approve of the things that don't. And he shapes us and changes us. He doesn't just give us, hey, you know, here, here's all the approval that you need. And he ultimately tells us, you know what, what you really need is to delight in me. You don't need to delight in yourself and how, how amazing and how much approval you have mustered. No, give approval to me and you will find real, the real satisfaction in your soul. All right, that's the difference we're talking about here. And that's where we are not this bundle of innocent desires that need to be met in Jesus. No, we're, we're sinful desires that need to be replaced with Jesus. That Jesus may be our one God, our one desire, our one delight. That we really want nothing but Jesus. I thought one, one question in the last session, it was really, really good. I don't know why I call it a session. That sounds really weird. Um, in the last sermon was... Uh, Someone's like, well, God is comfort. God is, God is, he's a comforter. So is it wrong to seek comfort from God, especially if I'm, I'm having trouble seeking Jesus Christ? Isn't, isn't it fair to seek some comfort in him first? All right, the problem is that Jesus is not merely the giver of comfort. Jesus is the comforter. That if you want comfort from Jesus, you go to Jesus he never just gives this kind of like vague comfort to us. You know, he gives us himself that we might be comforted in him and with him. You can't disconnect the two. That's where Jesus is. He is contentment and joy. He is delight. He is glory. He is beauty. And so you can't get these things removed from him. The gift that he gives is himself. The gift that God gives us is Jesus. And that with him flows all of these other things. So then we crucify. We crucify the flesh. We crucify every other desire but Jesus. For the joy of having nothing but him. So I tell you, like, see your sins. Admit that they are sins. They're not the root of, of innocent desires. Take them back. Take them back to idolatry. Take them back to your faith. And, and put yourself in Jesus once again. Amen? Amen. All right. Questions? Questions? Yep, waiting for it, Leah. I knew. <laughs> yep. Okay, yeah. Right. 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 Uh-huh. But 
Okay. 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 Right. So, uh, so impurity could be interpreted as an uncleanness. Then, is that is that uncleanness according to the ceremonial law of of Judaism that says you need to be ritually clean by eating clean foods or in uh, being washed clean? Um, The easy answer is to say that's not the best translation. Um, but I think we, we learn about, so you say, okay, uh, impurity is pretty vague. Uncleanness is kind of vague. And so we have to let the, the context of the book, we have to let the context of scripture kind of help us understand, okay, in, in what sense? In what sense is it impure? And I think from what we've seen in Galatians, it cannot be. It cannot be impurity in the ritual sense because that is, that is dead and gone. Those things don't have a factor anymore. Now, are there other ways to be impure? Yeah. There's ways to be sexually impure. There's ways to have our, our materialism defile us, uh, to let our, our, our greed, our sensuality, like all those things are defiling, not in the uncleanliness uh, sacrifice or uh, ceremonial law sense, but just in the sin sense. Right. Right. All right, uh, and that's just. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you another. Um, when Jesus talks to the Pharisees, and he's talking, and they're 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 complaining, and they're saying Jesus isn't washing his dishes well enough. He's not washing his hands. He's not pure. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you know what? What defiles a person is not what goes into them. That doesn't defile. That, that just goes right through. That's how he says it. Uh, <laughs> what defiles you is when things come out of your heart and it's ugly, disgusting things that, are, that come out of your heart. That's the impure stuff. It's the words that you say that are caustic. It's the the things that you do that are motivated from this evil and pure heart, that those are the things that make us unclean. Uh, and I think that's kind of, that's more what we're getting at in the uncleanness here. Does that answer your question, Leah? Okay. Other questions? No? Yes, you may, Leah. <laughs> Right, right. Judges or David or whatever. Right. Um, so when there's this list of love, joy, peace, patience, um, clearly there were people who were still experiencing these things back then. Right. Without the Spirit. But would the argument be that it's not coming from the law, that like a natural outpouring of doing the things for God, for Yahweh, back then, would not give you peace, patience, joy, whatever. 
Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. So let me let me see if I can summarize the question. Um, how did people in the Old Testament live live by the Spirit in some sense, where they didn't weren't infested with the Spirit, right? Um, I'd say to some extent we see that they they didn't have the same ability. So you might say like, well, they they didn't have a, a lot of love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Um, but you could say, but I think Leah, what you what you deduced was, well, if they're not living according to the spirit, they must be living according to the law. Um, which I don't think is, is really the full picture. That's where uh, we see that the natural tendency was to live according to law, but there were those who, who lived by faith. And they, they trusted not in their ability to cleanse themselves by killing lambs, but by God's ability to really change our, to, to really cleanse us. Um, Now, the, the trouble is, when I'm thinking of those examples, I'm thinking of people like David, who had the Holy Spirit. Um, right, right. Uh, Floyd is going to help fill this out. Because Floyd, Floyd, are you, are you going to help fill this out? I'm interested in your, your thoughts. Okay. When we were created in the image of God, but have not fallen or not cursed. Okay. I think part of the image of God being image bearers is having peace, patience, kindness, goodness, hmm. love. But I'm cursed and I'm post fall. Right. Totally, yeah. Every aspect of my image of God is cursed. All my work is cursed. Okay. God through Christ restored that. Okay. And he restored that and part of the fruit of that is the gift of the Spirit. He's helping them do that. So now, it's never a question of performing an act of duty. We were given work to do and do to become divine. After our fall, Okay. Uh, I don't. I don't know if it does. It help you? Okay. Okay. Um. Right, right, and that's where I want to be sensitive to the redemptive historical 
context, like th- this is a big deal, a big change um, that was prophesied for for thousands of years that that the heart would be changed, that the the law would be written on our hearts, that old men would dream dreams and and everyone would see visions, and you know it, it would change. But um, but I, I might be pushing it too far, Wendy, to, to be denying his work and or sorry, Amy, uh, to be denying like his his larger context of his work. That's fair. That's possible. I think of Moses and and the Holy Spirit goes to the the seventy, or is more fully distributed. So there's an extent where that could happen more. But I I don't have a good answer to that yet. I've I've considered that myself. I'm not sure. Jack, do you want to enlighten us? I think I want to qualify what what you said just there, Jack. Um, It's not that we will ever move from sinner to not sinner, in that we've made like a a final and glorified break from sin that we we don't sin anymore. Um, That that only happens upon death. That happens upon glorification. Um, But I wouldn't go so far to say that we'd never sin less, or we we are really sanctified progressively. I think we don't want to deny that fact because we, we're told that, that that is what happens and that we do move towards really expressing the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we'll never do that perfectly and our hope is not in our ability to do that perfectly or even our ability to do that more and more, but our hope is in Christ and our hope is in the work that he's done, but our love really should express itself in less sin and more fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, we constantly, constantly are crucifying that flesh. Um, and by the Spirit, it really does die. Slowly, but slowly and slowly and, and very slowly. All right, uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that 
uh, our hope is not in this process in, in any, any sense of the word. Our hope is not in our ability to, to walk by the Spirit, but our hope is in Jesus. And, Father, that when we put our hope in our Spirit, in, in, uh, when we put our hope in Christ, then the Spirit naturally gives us the fruit of the Spirit. So, Father, we ask that we would kill every idol, that we would kill its desires, that we would not run from you who loves us and wants to, to pour grace upon us. Father, draw us near to yourself that we may live under grace, that we may love Jesus, that he may replace every other desire, that he may be the delight of our hearts and souls and lives, and that out of that great desire and delight, we would do the things that please him and ultimately please you, Father. So would you do that work? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you show us Jesus and the beauty of Jesus? Would we go from the gift to the giver and really desire Jesus more than anything else? We pray in his name for his glory. Thank you for him, Father. Amen.